We have been talking these last few weeks about the table as we have made our way down the path of the good journey. We pause before the table, perhaps the table, remind, mindful of those who are no longer with us on the good journey, the table wherein we invite strangers to come and join us by putting in that extra leaf at the table. And today, we take a look at the table of abundance and prosperity and wonder together about what God would have us do at this table. And in doing so, we reflect on two scripture passages from Luke chapter 16 and then also from the first letter of John. Hear the word of God. Jesus speaks and says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he's comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm that's been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, the father, then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have brothers that he may warn them so, there is, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And then these words from the letter of John, the first letter of John, beginning at the 11th verse. This is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Don't be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we pass from death into life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he lay down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. For how does God's love abide in anyone? who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Once upon a time, there was a little red hen who lived on a farm. She was friends with a lazy dog, a sleepy cat, and a noisy yellow duck. 
One day, the little red hen found some seeds on the ground. The little red hen had an idea. She would plant the seeds. The little red hen asked her friends, who will help me plant the seeds? Not I, barked the lazy dog. Not I, purred the sleepy cat. Not I, quacked the noisy yellow duck. Then I will, said the little red hen. So the little red hen planted the seeds all by herself. When the seeds had grown, the little red hen asked her friends, who will help me cut the wheat? Not I, barked the lazy dog. Not I, purred the sleepy cat. Not I, quacked the noisy yellow duck. Then I will, said the little red hen. So the little red hen cut the wheat all by herself. When all the wheat was cut, the little red hen asked her friends, who will help me then take the wheat to the mill to be ground into flour? Not I, barked the lazy dog. Not I, purred the sleepy cat. Not I, quacked the noisy yellow duck. Then I will, said the little red hen. So the little red hen brought the wheat to the mill all by herself, ground the wheat into flour, and carried the heavy sack of flour back to the farm. The tired little red hen asked her friends, who will then help me bake the bread? Not I, barked the lazy dog. Not I, purred the sleepy cat. Not I, quacked the yellow noisy duck. Then I will, said the little red hen. So the little red hen asked, bake the bread all by herself. And when the bread was finished, and the tired little red hen asked her friends, who will help me eat the bread? I will, barked the lazy dog. I will, purred the sleepy cat. I will quacked the noisy yellow duck. No, said the little red hen, I will. And the little red hen ate the bread all by herself. I'm sure there are many of you who have heard that story and perhaps read that story to your children and maybe your grandchildren. I remember reading it to Brittany long ago. It is a timeless story, and I, it's a timeless story, I suppose, because like most children's stories, there's a moral somewhere that we hope will be impressed upon our children, and this one has to do with good, hard work. Good, hard work will get you the reward, and laziness won't. The lazy dog, the sleepy cat, the noisy yellow duck just don't get that reward for not working. They get left in the cold. It's certainly a message that was impressed upon me when I was growing up, the good old Protestant work ethic. Work hard, eat the fruit of your own labor. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Of all the time, of all the sins you could ever commit in my family, I suspect the greatest of them all was laziness. Let them call you whatever they want, but don't let them call you lazy. I think that is deeply embedded in the Presbyterian handbook. But the story of the little red hen, as effective as it may be in inspiring our children to good hard work, ends with a fairly sad little line. And the little red hen ate the bread all by herself. All alone at her table, with more bread than she could ever hope to ingest, the little red hen ate the bread all by herself. Jesus had his version of the little red hen when he told the story about the rich man alone in his mansion, sitting at his big dining room table, feasting sumptuously every day. No reason to think he didn't work hard for what he got. No reason to think he didn't grow his own wheat and bake his own bread. No reason to think that he didn't put his nose to the grindstone. No reason to think that he didn't play the market right. But now he's at the table all by himself. No further than the end of his driveway is, you name it, the lazy dog, the sleepy cat, and that noisy yellow duck. His name is Lazarus. He's poor, he's sick, can't afford health care. He'd be happy with a few crumbs from the table. 
It sounds like the rich man has made a good case in his head that Lazarus shouldn't be at his table. He's worked hard to get what he's got. He's not going to let it go to waste. He'd rather eat alone than share it with someone who doesn't deserve it. Jesus' version of Ebenezer Scrooge. An overflowing table more than any one man could ever enjoy. Kept all to himself. But better that than to let it into the idle hands of the beggar. And just when it starts to make economic sense to us. Just when we think that, you know, it kind of makes sense for that little red hand to gorge herself on the bread of her own labor. Just when we start to say to ourselves, you know, it's my money and I'll do with it whatever I please. Thank you very much. Jesus says, you're right. And you're missing the point. You might be missing out on the secret to life. The very truth of the kingdom. Because it's now, Jesus says, when your table's full, when your bank account is full, when you have more money than one family could ever use, now is not the time to get lazy. Now is not the time to miss the point. Because the whole point of a full table is to make sure as many as possible get fed. How silly to have a feast and eat it alone. Our granddaughter, Brooke's middle name, comes from her great-grandmother, my mother-in-law, Rose. Rose Costello Shanks. Rose was the best mother-in-law a person could have for a thousand different reasons, not the least of which was she could really cook. <laughs> she was pure Italian, and she cooked like a pure Italian. Pasta, pizza, meatballs, lasagna, oh my goodness, more than a Scotch-Irish boy could ever dream about. And the cardinal sin for an Italian cook is not to have enough for as many that show up. It is a mortal sin to run out. If one showed up or a hundred showed up, you always have enough to feed them. You go hungry yourself as long as everybody else has enough to eat. And the second sin was for anyone to walk away from the table any less than completely stuffed. It was an affront that you didn't eat more than you should. I gained 20 pounds courting Rose's daughter, and I was happy to oblige. <laughs> but the greatest enjoyment, even beyond my stuffed stomach, was to see Rose live out her love language. It's how she loved anyone who came into her home. Pull up a chair, sit down, eat. And then always a bag to take home with you. It makes me think if maybe God isn't an Italian cook. <laughs> if God doesn't have this love language that says, I'm not going to be happy unless as many people get fed at my table. I'm not worried too much, in fact, if you worked hard or didn't work hard. I'm not too much worried whether you, where you fall on the work and lazy scale. The earth is my home and you are the guest. Pull up a chair, sit down and eat. Because the joy of life is in the act of love. The joy of life is in the act of sharing. The joy of life is in the act of making sure that no one goes away hungry. 
You see, that's the yearning that God has for us, that we all get that joy, the joy of seeing the full table turn empty, that no one eats alone and no one goes hungry. How silly would it be if you were the one who was in charge of Thanksgiving this year, you were the one whose job it was to cook the meal, so you slave in the kitchen, you cover the table with all sorts of delectable dishes, and the doorbell rings, and the gang arrives, and you say grace, and the first thing you say after the amen is, you know, I'm hoping you go easy on the food. I'm kind of hoping that most of this turns into leftovers for me because you know, I worked for it, I shopped for it, I paid for it, I cooked it, so you know, I'm hoping I get to eat most of it. <laughs> Missing the point. Remember the story of Babette's feast, the story Isaac Dennison wrote about the little Christian sect in a faraway Norwegian village who spent their lives trying to live virtuous lives, trying to live righteous lives, trying to compare themselves to each other and making themselves miserable as a result. And then one dark, cold, rainy night, a castaway from the French counter-revolution ends up on their doorstep and they take her in. Her name is Babette and to earn her room and board, she serves the leaders of the community. She feeds them their required staple of stale bread, gruel, and water. And what they don't know is that Babette is one of the greatest chefs in all of France. And one day, Babette has learned that she's won the lottery, so she leaves them to go claim her fortune, and they assume that she's gone forever, but she returns weeks later with the ingredients of a feast, and she asks the community who have been bickering over who was more religious if she could cook them a feast out of gratitude for taking her in, and she cooks them this feast with all of her lottery winnings, the best wine, the best fish, the best meat, the best pastry, and when they sit down at the meal and they see the love that has prepared it, the sacrifice that's made it happen, they eat to their heart's content and they finally get it. They see a glimpse of the kingdom in this gratitude turned into generosity. The joy of life is in the act of love. The joy of life is turning a full table into an empty table with doggy bags to take home. Which helps us make sense when the apostle asks, how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? It's just this way of saying that we might be missing the whole point when we find our cupboards and closets and dining room tables and bank accounts and 401ks relatively full, a spread to feed not just two or four, but maybe a dozen or a hundred, this full, full, full table. And he says, if you want to really know the love of God, make sure everybody gets something to eat. The great joy of life is not what you've kept on your table, but what you've let go from your table. You remember the old story about the pastor who got up and said, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that we've got enough money to fully fund the budget, replace the roof, and fully stock the food pantry. The bad news is the money's still in your pocket. The joy of life <laughs> is in the act of love. The joy of life is turning a full table into an empty table with a doggy bag to take home. And every joy takes practice, right? You, you never get joy until you practice. You start small on your way to going big. You play the scales on the piano before you play the concerto. So you play. You play and you play and you play and you pray and you practice and you practice and you practice. You give X amount this year. You give 50% more next year. I know I'm starting to scare you. 
But every joy, hear this, every joy begins with being frightened. When I want to learn how to bike, ride a bike, when I wanted to learn how to ride a bike, it took hours of wobbling and falling and running into trees and skinning my knees for me to finally get it and finally realize the joy of just being able to hop onto a bike and ride with the wind, but you have to face the fear. The hours of practice, the hours of falling before you get the joy. Generosity takes practice. So we look at our full tables and cupboards and accounts and open our eyes to the world's needs. It may be fear we first feel. What if I don't have enough for me? What if I don't have enough for a rainy day? But maybe it's possible you've been saving for somebody else's rainy day. So we face into our fears and we practice and we give a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then finally, the concerto, the joy of sharing everything on the table. And then sooner or later, the question changes from what if I don't have enough for me to how can I have enough for them? When the bread was finished, the tired little red hen asked her friends, who will help me eat the bread? I will, bark the lazy dog. I will, purr the sleepy cat. I will, quack the noisy yellow duck. I will, cried the beggar Lazarus. And the little red hen said, pull up a chair, have a seat, and eat.